This is episode 19 with Margot Mayers. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface Podcast. My guest, Margot Mayers, is a former award-winning TV news anchor. She has spent more than 20 years doing TV news at Como and Cairo TV in Seattle. Now, she manages her own PR firm and is a communications expert, keynote speaker, and an executive coach. In this episode, we talk about her journey to becoming a news anchor and her transition to becoming an entrepreneur. I also ask Margot to share her best advice she gives her clients on personal branding and getting ahead at work. Margot, thank you for being here. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm so glad. Uh, I wanted to bring that up. That Steve, Steven Cloth introduced us, so I wanted to really quick give him a shout out for making this possible. Absolutely. Today. Um, so I wanted to start with a fun topic before we get to the to the your subject matter expertise. Um, I know you. I read that you had a chance to fly with the Blue Angels. Um, and I had to, is there any way that you can kind of walk me back to that moment and what was the experience like? And I know that you did a podcast, uh, before on that, but I, I wanted to more go through the moment where you find out you were going to do this, what went through your mind and how did you convince yourself to go with it? So I was a, I was a TV news reporter and anchor for, you know, about 25 years and in my very first reporting job down in Redding, California. The Blue Angels did an air show there and they wanted to take me up so badly, but they couldn't get permission to do one extra flight. And my boss had kind of pulled rank on me. So fast forward 20 years when I was working at Cairo and because they're the seafare station, they said, Margo, do you want to go up with the Blue Angels? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I've been waiting 20 years to do this. So I was so excited. You have to go through a physical, you have to basically sign your life away. And because you're going up in an F-18, you know, in in a fighter jet. And Um, So you're sitting there in the cockpit the day you're ready and they basically say, okay, do not touch that handle because it's the ejection handle (laughs) and you don't want to go flying out, right? And then um, we, we literally took off from Boeing Field, blue skies, gorgeous day, not a cloud in the sky. We took off and we went straight up 9,000 feet in the air. Right. And you would think that you would kind of, you know, pitch backward. And I was prepared for that. But the G's you pull on takeoff flipped my head forward. I got whiplash within the first 10 seconds. Oh, my God. I know. Can you believe it? And actually, the the, the feeling of going so fast. I mean, I imagine you probably never experienced anything like it. No. So we, so we, so I was fine. And, but you have a, you know, you have a heavy helmet Mm -hmm. on and I just wasn't prepared for that motion. So we literally flew out just under the speed of sound to Long Beach on the coast 
and we're flying along literally you know like what Mach 1 660 miles an hour and the the pilot says Margo are you ready to invert and I'm like absolutely and I knew what was coming up and sure enough he flips the plane and suddenly we're flying upside down buzzing these fishing boats that are out there on the water at Long Beach and then you know it was it was fun then it, you know we did the warm up we did loops and rolls and and then people always say well did you throw up and i said no but guess what happened i passed out yeah i did i did hear that yeah because you are they tell you to hook which mm -hmm. is essentially you you clench your core to keep oxygen to your brain mm -hmm. and i was hooking for all i was worth and um the part of the show where the planes you know the jets are flying straight up mm -hmm. and they're doing those vertical rolls all of a sudden I was just out oh my god and so then you kind of go off into this little dream state and so finally the pilot Margo Margo are you with me and I'm like oh. yeah I'm back I'm back and I'm like yeah I'm flying with the Blue Angels and yeah I'm here and so we pulled 7.4 G's that day twice and that's a lot but it was the highlight of, you know, one of the highlights of my of my life because you only get to do it one time. And we did, you know, we did a simulated aircraft carrier landing, um, you know, just kind of in the air. And we did all the loops and rolls and everything. And we wow. got back to the tarmac and I literally got out of the plane and just sat on the tarmac for like five <laughs> minutes to let my let my body just kind of settle back into shape. It was pretty wild, <laughs> but a ton of fun. Do you have a high tolerance for risk or do you uh, did something to yourself to like kind of get through with this? Cause... Oh, no, I'm 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 an admitted adrenaline junkie. Oh, OK. So, all right. All right. Know, I've I've jumped out of planes. I've oh, OK. So you've gone had... scuba diving. I've gone okay. down to Panama with the army, uh, you know, during the Noriega stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm. Hey, I worked in news. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to You got to like the adrenaline stuff. Love if you it. If you work in news. Now, I talked uh, about early in your career. Uh, when and how you came to the realization that becoming a news anchor was your dream job? I always liked to write, even in mm. high school. To write? I always liked to write, and I am a people person. And so it was actually my mom who said, you know, you might want to consider going to work in news. And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea. So I went to WSU because they were known for their communications school at the time. And so I very luckily got into a broadcasting class mm -hmm. my freshman year. And I can still remember to this day, the professor who was in his first year there, he's, he's still there now, Glenn Johnson. And he basically said, but if you're, if you're an anchor, you work weekends, you work holidays, you work weird hours. If you're a main anchor, you work from three to midnight. It's really hard on relationships. It can be hard mm -hmm. on families. And I thought, who in their right mind would ever want to do that? Really? Mm -hmm. And I immediately transferred out of broadcasting into journalism because then I figured I could, I could write. And so I became a sports writer mm -hmm. and the sports editor at the, you know, the Daily Evergreen over at WSU and did that. And then I realized I missed the video because I liked using video to tell stories. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the same professor my senior year and I said, will you please let me into the student-run news station, mm -hmm. Cable 8, and so I can you know, go ahead and get an internship. And he said, Margo, I have 
20 students ahead of you who need this class to graduate. I said, okay, do what you think is best. And I come out the next day and my name is the very last name on the list. And he let me in. And that was enough to give me broadcasting experience so I could go on and do an internship at one of the TV stations in Spokane. And I didn't even get to the end of that. And I went and got a job down in California. And then mm-hmm. I was off and running. Wow. So you're heavily involved. Uh, you were heavily involved uh, writing the news, mm-hmm. even though you were as a news anchor. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. And how competitive would you say is to to become a news anchor? Very. So what would you think made you special? Uh, I think it was I think it was my my love of people Mm -hmm. and that people tell me things. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of I think it's from being a good listener. Mm. But I really care about people. And I think that I think that approachability factor really comes across and I want to not only you know tell people's stories you know now it's like I help people tell their stories but when I was reporting I was telling people's stories Mm -hmm. and I just really enjoy that and I think that was that was kind of my my secret sauce to success if you will now what would you say was the biggest interviewing lesson you learned as a reporter because I know you you met with people, and you've you you talked about I think in uh, in your blogs on your side that the 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 power of asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Could you expand a little bit on that? I think one of the biggest lessons from reporting is the realization that there is always more than two sides to a story. You know, there's not just one side. There's not just two sides. There can be many sides to a story. And asking questions of as many people involved in that story as you can to gain a greater understanding, I think gives you a fuller, richer, more truthful story. Hmm. Now let's go to 90 years ago. Why did you leave your dream job? The station decided they wanted to go into a different direction. And frankly, I had been, I was at that place in my career. And just, I think you hit that place in your life where it's like, ah, this isn't, you know, is this all there is? And so they wanted to do something else. And I thought, you know, I've done this for 25 years. This is a great time for me to go do something else. And when I worked mornings, I got up at 10 to 2 mm-hmm. in the morning so that I could go to work. And then I was at work by 2.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then when I went across the street and worked nights, then I went to work at 2.30 in the afternoon and then worked till midnight. Mm-hmm. So at some point, it really does impact your life and your relationships and what you do. And I was ready to have more of a life. and. Mm-hmm you know, enjoy my family and really get to do some some other things outside of news. And so I thought that was a, a great opportunity to do that. There's th- three things I wanted to ask you about what you just said. Uh, the first one is, what do you mean with the station wanted to go to a different direction? They, um, they didn't want to um, extend my contract. Oh, okay. And the second is doing news for so long because everybody knows most of the news usually are bad, bad news. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you have, throughout all these years working on the news, how did you make it so that it doesn't 
have a big weight on you because you know you're always reporting all these sad stories uh, did you go through the emotions as you or were you were able to disattach yourself from them I think I was early on I was able to kind of detach so that you could actually re report and mm -hmm. once I became a parent I found that much harder to do And you're a new parent. Yes, so, I, I became more emotional the yeah. moment that I became a new parent. And I actually think that that compassion that I felt for the people that I was talking to made me a better, a better interviewer, a better reporter, a better anchor. Mm. Uh, but I also found that once I left news, it had taken a bit of a psychological toll. Wow. And so I felt, I did feel that weight. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, you know, that, that heavy emotion, but it wasn't until I got out of news that I realized that, and I'm a little bit of an empath. So I feel other people's emotions really strongly. Mm -hmm. And that also impacted me. But again, I didn't really realize that until I was out of news. Mm. It took that distance, if yes. you will, to kind of come to a greater understanding about that. Now, you, you talked about that as a news anchor, your schedule is everywhere. Do you do you think you had work-life balance as a news anchor? I think that I did the best that I could under the circumstances. You know, my my um, my husband also worked kind of weird weird hours, mm -hmm. and uh, luckily, you know, my mother-in-law was lived lived close by, so she helped to get our son off to school in the morning, and then I did afternoon. So, you know, we coached soccer, we helped coached basketball the whole time my my son was growing up. So, really, we always had we always had dinner together as a family almost every night. So you do the best you you do the best you can. Now, you're going through this transition from being on the news to starting your own business. Was that the first thing that came up uh, top of mind to start your own business or do you have something else in mind? Can you walk me through what was your process like to that part of your life? Well, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I left news, because mm -hmm. that was all that I knew. And mm -hmm. I didn't really understand how those skills could transfer to something else. And mm -hmm. luckily, I was able to discover that all those skills that go into being a, you know, a reporter and an anchor transfer very well into public relations. And then primarily what I'm doing now as an, mm -hmm. as an executive coach. In fact, it was funny because I had, um, I had a coach, I was speaking at an event and I had this coach look at me and say, how can you go from being a news anchor to being a coach? Like I said, well, you know, I, I got my certification, I have my credentials. And I said, if you think about it, it's funny that you should ask because what do you do as a reporter? You build trust and rapport with the person you're interviewing. Correct. What do we do as coaches? We build trust and rapport with our mm -hmm. clients. You know, what do we do as reporters? We ask powerful questions. What do we do as coaches? We ask powerful questions. You know, then we take that information and we put it into a story and we take that information as a coach and we help, you know, help our clients make sense of it. And she goes, okay, okay, I get it, <laughs> you know. But so there really is a lot of transferable skills. But that transition for me, I wish I would have, I, I wish I would have had a coach to help me through that transition, actually, ironically, mm -hmm. um, because I think it would have gone much smoother and faster and would have given me clarity 
uh, a lot more quickly than the process that I went through. I love it. So basically, you you fill the gap for something that was missing in your own experience to make sure that that person was it would be there for others. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you talk about also that you you start speaking. Uh, is that something that you've done? Well, you've done that in front of the TV, but was it different to do it in front of an audience uh, on a stage than in front of the camera? Or do you find it similar? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I've always done speaking and emceeing because as a news anchor, it was essentially part of your job description to emcee different events or luncheons or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so um, emceeing is different than speaking. And so there's a lot of similarities, but I can read the energy in the room mm -hmm. when I'm giving a talk. And I love that part because mm -hmm. that's, that's what's fun. And, you know, when you're just speaking to a camera, um, it's a little, you know, it's a little different. Mm -hmm. So I, I love speaking and, and feeling that energy from, from the audience mm -hmm. and, you know, the interaction and taking questions. And, mm -hmm. I, and I have a lot of fun with that. Do you have a presentation or talk from so far that you've done that stands out from the others? Like one particular talk yeah. mm -hmm. or, well, I... As far as how it's been received by the audience, is there, is, is there from all your presentations that you've done so far, is there one that stands out? Well, I think one, the one that I give now is, is what do people say about you when you leave the room? how to influence the conversation. Mm. And so that one always gets people thinking, oh, what what do people say about me when I live, leave the room? What kind of impression do I make? And so that one is really about brand, personal brand, and how you communicate your strengths and the values and the best parts of yourself so that people, you're just not left at the mercy of what people say. So it's actually being proactive about what you're communicating. And I have a lot of people respond really well to that particular talk. I love it. I, I did find the, that as the most intriguing title when I was looking at some of the talks mm -hmm. that you've done. Could you share a little bit about how did you, what was your process to putting that talk together from coming up with the topic and the title and, and, and what was special about it as far as, what, what do you think was the, the most special thing about that talk that makes it stand out. So when when I left news and then I you know started uh -huh. Margot Myers Communications and then I also was asked to by Suzanne Kiel Ekman and and Jenny Hogan mm -hmm. and they said you know we mentor a lot of women leaders and we know you do that too. Would you be interested in putting together a curriculum around that? And I said, absolutely. And so we started, what was it? First Go Girl Academy, which we transferred, um, changed the name to Springboard Academy because mm -hmm. we had to be gender neutral because we had companies started mm -hmm. to ask us for some of our curriculum. And so we basically put this together around personal brand and helping people understand what it is they want to be known for and get clarity around that. So that was the genesis of this particular talk. So far, what do you say, what would you say was the biggest lesson learned as a keynote speaker? As a keynote speaker. 
I would say it's read the energy of the room hmm. and pay attention to what's going on in the room. If something feels a little off, which doesn't happen often, but if I notice people are, you know, doing something else or, you know, it's, or they have puzzled expressions, I'll, I'll stop and I'll say, hey, what's, what's going on for you right now? Did I, did I lose you somewhere? Do you have a question around something? What's going on? And someone will speak up and say, I, I wasn't sure about this and we'll talk about it. And, and that's okay. It's, it's kind of like doing breaking news. You don't have a script necessarily. You just run with where the information leads. What's your approach to presenting? Do you, do you try to, um, do you write your whole presentation and everything you're going to say and try to stick to it as much as possible? Or do you write an outline? Uh, what has been the most effective way for you to be fully present in the room and not worry about what you're going to say next and making sure that you don't forget anything? Well, I have two two ways that I do that. I mean, I uh -huh. have a PowerPoint that I use because I think sometimes the visuals can mm -hmm. be helpful. But I also find that I think the best speakers are ones who don't use PowerPoints mm -hmm. or presentations. And I love it best when I can just be myself and bring my whole self to uh, the talk and, and what I'm saying. And frankly, I've, I've given this talk a number of times. So I'm pretty familiar with it. And people, people underestimate how much they should really practice when they are giving a speech or a presentation. And I always use Steve Jobs, you mm -hmm. know, the late Apple founder as an example, because he always practiced and practiced and practiced down to his gestures and everything else, what he was going to say when he was make a, making a presentation. And so I still practice if I'm giving a presentation that maybe I haven't given as mm -hmm. often. So I still practice, but I like the ones where I can just come and talk. You know, I mean, I think, I think, uh, over time, you become so used to speaking that it becomes second nature. But I'm sure at the beginning, uh, do you still have like a formula of how much minimum you think you need to prepare before going out and feeling that you did your due diligence or? I, well, I think, it, I don't think there's a, a, a minimum necessarily. Mm -hmm. I would say, if, you know, people need to run through a, a speech or a presentation at least five or six times, practice in front of a mirror, practice in front of a couple of close friends, ask for feedback. Um, you know, it's, we can always get better with, mm -hmm. with practice. And so I, you know, I encourage my clients and, and a lot of the speakers that I work with to practice and practice with your notes, practice without your notes, know your information, you know, forward and backward, because there will be something happen, mm -hmm. whether it's technology or the microphone goes out or something happens and you want to be able to roll with it and know your information well enough that if something happens, you're not going to get thrown so much that you lose your place and or blank out or whatever. So I, I encourage people to really know their information well. Mm -hmm. When you when you work with clients to help them uh, uh, really ace their presentation, uh, do you advise them to write the whole everything they're going to say down or, or or an outline is enough? 
It depends on the person. Everybody is everybody is different. Mm. Some people, that's how they best learn is by writing everything down, and it helps them kind of embed those ideas into their into their brain, and they can embody their their presentation and their speech by writing everything down. Other people just give me an outline, and I'm good to go, and I have those key points. So everybody is different, and so I kind of work with people and meet them where they are and and what their best learning style is i love that i love that um so as a professional coach you help others get promoted um what would you say what does it take to get ahead at work fast so a lot of people that i work with maybe they are they have been they're they're always high achievers mm-hmm And their career trajectory has been, you know, pretty, pretty steep. And then maybe they reach a plateau and they don't know why. And so the best thing about being a coach is being able to look at the whole person. And I always take a very holistic view. And maybe their presentation skills, they need to get to that next level because in that next, you know, that next level where they've, they're going from a manager to a senior manager, they're going to be doing maybe a lot more presentations or they need to be super confident when they're leading meetings and they need to know how to present their ideas in a very succinct, clear manner. And maybe they're not quite, they're almost there, but they're not quite there yet. And maybe they don't realize that. And so we'll work on that. Or maybe they haven't really put together their success stories and they're not able to articulate what it is exactly that they're really good at doing. And so maybe we'll we'll pull out those success stories and those examples and practice talking about it because it's really hard for people to especially women, I find, to talk about themselves and kind of brag, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it is how do you share that in a way that it comes across as confident but not bragging? And we'll work on that. Now, this brings me a little bit to uh, the topic on personal branding. What's your definition of personal branding? Personal branding is... There's, there's an equation that I use in my talk, and it's really the experience. Um, well, it's the promise and the value. What are you delivering? And the experience of working with you that equals a relationship. So I'll use an example, say Nordstrom. You know, they're known for their customer service. So their promise and their value is good quality clothes, and they're going to, you know, and that's what you, when you're shopping there, you expect to get good quality clothes. The experience is built around the customer experience. They're going to make that a great shopping experience. And so if it's positive, then that builds a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And you have that positive experience. What is it like to work with you? What is it like to, um, you know, shop with, you know, your personal shopper or whatever? Uh, then you have that relationship. So it can be positive, but it can also be negative. What if I buy a car and the promise is the value and I buy this car and it turns out it's kind of a lemon. Oops. Mm -hmm. So my experience, I end up calling the dealership all the time 
and they get tired of talking to me because, you know, the check engine light's always on and I get tired of having to call them. So the relationship is probably going to be soured. So it can be kind of a negative experience. So you want your, the experience with your brand and what it's like to um, work with you or do an interview with you. If you're, if you're Mm -hmm. talking about your, your brand in particular, Alonzo, then you want it to be a positive experience. So that's what your brand is. What, what are you promising? What are you delivering? What kind of service? What's the value you provide? Mm -hmm. Plus the experience, what is it like to work with you? And then that equals the relationship. What do you think holds some of your clients back from talking about themselves? confidence or lack of confidence and so a lot of times i think one of the one of the greatest things that that i can do for my clients is to help them develop more confidence mm. and it starts in small steps and you know you get a you get a win and then it starts to snowball because they'll try something outside of their comfort zone. Maybe they'll give a talk or they'll lead a meeting and it goes really well and they get great feedback from their boss or the mm-hmm. other people in the lead. And then they're, they're more apt to want to do that next time. So their confidence grows. And then, oh, can you make this, this big presentation because we have this big sales presentation and this is one of our most important clients. So then they take on more responsibility and it becomes this upward spiral, if you will, of greater confidence and they know they can do more. It just builds step by step until they are, they look back and they go, wow, look how far I've come in six months. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. And I think this is a great segue right now to ask you about executive presence. What is executive presence? I think executive presence is that it factor, that presence of confidence, that presence where the energy changes when someone walks into the room, you know they are there, but it can also be humble at the same time. Mm. So it's not somebody walking into the room like, I'm here, but you know from their presence and the way they hold themselves that they are a force to be reckoned with. Mm, I love it. And for those who are not, don't have the privilege to be here in front of you, I can tell them I'll be your first testimonial that you are what you preach because that's exactly what I felt. I'm an energy person. Mm -hmm. I always talk about energy. And that's exactly what I felt. It's powerful but humble energy. It's like the sweet spot. Oh, thank you. Oh. So (laughs) those interested in working with you, you know that... You do, uh, you are what you preach. So. Oh, well, thank you. Well, so so think back to your own experience when you were starting off doing interviews. Mm-hmm. So the first one, you were probably a little bit nervous. I was shaking. Right. And look <laughs> at you now. You're a seasoned pro. No, I, I'm hiding it in my arm. No. <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're great. <laughs> and then... And going back to the the topic on getting ahead at work, for those, you know, looking to kind of move to the next level, what do you say are the top characteristics of people who get promoted? Number one, they're they're competent. Mm -hmm. So they have to be able to to do the job and have that belief in themselves that they can do the job. So they're competent, they have the skill set, or they can build, they have enough of the skill set that they can build on that. Mm -hmm. They're confident. They come across as confident. You know how it is when people respond to 
confident people, mm-hmm. right? And you want to come in and yeah, we can get that done. Um, and so they're they're confident. I also think that they are very good listeners, very good listeners, um, active listeners. And I think that it's a huge differentiator, differentiator between the confident, arrogant, and the confident leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because it's it's all we all work in teams mm-hmm. these days. Uh, oftentimes, we work in teams, and so if I'm working on a team, I want I want to know enough about my team. What are their strengths? What mm-hmm. What are their strong points? So I can put them in the best place possible where they will be successful. And so I'm very much a strong believer in knowing what your strengths are so that you can play to your strengths because, you know, be aware of your weaknesses, but your weaknesses are not going to take your fa- take you far. If you play to your strengths and run with the things that you are naturally good at doing, that's going to take you so much farther than if you work to become this well-rounded person and you know, that means encompass, encompassing some of your your weaknesses. No, it's take your strengths and the things that you do really well and hone those so that you can go you can go further. Certainly have people on your team who are strong in areas where maybe you're not as strong, but I think that's really important to play to your strengths. So for leaders, it's knowing the people on your team, um, you know, taking not taking credit, but holding your team accountable. Mm-hmm. I think that's imp- important to do. Um, so competence, confidence, uh, teamwork, being a good listener, being humble, um, all of those things work together, I think, to move people up to that next level. And also they're probably the communication skills. Absolutely, the, the communication skills. And that's what I work, um, you know, uh, some of my clients, it's funny, if you ask them what time it is, they will tell you how to build a watch. And that's not what people want to hear. They just want to know what time it is. Yeah. So how to get that message clear, concise, succinct, mm. and impactful. I do a lot of that with, with my clients in, in messaging. And mm-hmm. how can I talk about this in a way that's going to get the message across, but still be impactful and not turn people off? Mm-hmm. Now, another uh, niche that I said that you focus on is on helping high-achieving women find work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I found those two words, high-achieving and work-life balance, interesting. Uh, how Can you get ahead at work being a high-achiever without becoming a workaholic? I think you can. I don't think it's easy. And I don't think, I think in terms of work-life balance, maybe a little bit differently than, than other people. I never think that you're going to have equal, equal work and equal life. Um, I think it's more ebb and flow. So there are times in your life where work is going to be more important. Mm -hmm. There are going to be times in your life where your family is going to be more important. And so it comes down to really knowing your values and mm-hmm. your priorities and giving yourself some grace too. Hmm. We're all doing the best we can. You know, I don't think you need to be a workaholic, but it's going to be that ebb and flow in your life and having that understanding and giving yourself permission to not be perfect all the time. Most higher achievers are, are perfectionists. 
many times. And so I think it's just giving yourself some grace and, and being permission. I don't always have to be perfect in every aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I wanted to go back to the the personal branding topic and also now with intersection of personal branding and media. Mm -hmm. um, for somebody who, you know, these days when the word personal branding comes up, people think about really promoting themselves on social media in any way possible, right? Just making sure that they're always there everywhere. Um, what do you recommend your clients as far as when it comes to not just promoting themselves within work by knowing what their strengths are and how to communicate those clearly, but when it comes to the public personal branding? So I, I have to be the first to tell you, Alonzo, mm -hmm. really, I don't even like the term personal brand. Mm -hmm. I'm not wild about the term, but I also think that in this day and age when we have social media, that people need to be aware and cognizant of how they come across and what other people say about them. Mm -hmm. So if you have three things that you want to be known for, mm. your brand, you want to make sure, number one, that your brand is authentic, mm -hmm. that it's authentic to you. Don't try to be like somebody else. Because mm. only you can be your best you. You bring all of your skills and experience and passions to one place. So you have a unique brand and nobody else can do that better than you. So that's that's number one. Be mm -hmm. authentic. The other thing, be consistent. You know, don't try to be somebody over here when you're with this group of people or don't be somebody else when you're at work or, you know, be consistent throughout wherever you are, because otherwise it's exhausting. If you're going to try to be, you know, one way here and one way there, be consistent. And then finally be clear, mm. be clear. It doesn't have to be wildly complicated. You know, what is it that you want to be known for? Mm -hmm. And have that be your personal brand. Like one of my one of my things in, in my brand is I like to be positive. Very, very rarely uh, will I post something on social media mm -hmm. that is negative. Rarely. It might be one or two times. But I have a couple of guidelines that I use. You know, it's be positive. And another one is I never post anything that I wouldn't want to see as a headline in the Seattle Times <laughs> because nothing is private, you know, people can find things fairly easy if they have, you know, a little bit of technically, if they're technically savvy, people can find out things about you by mm -hmm. going online. So it's, it's less about the format, it's more about the strategy behind whatever you do and making sure that everything is aligned to that mm -hmm. core of who you, how you want to be perceived as, I guess. Correct. You've got it. Love it. Now, um, we're going to move on now uh, to the uh, series called the How I Work. It's a series of rapid questions just to, to learn how you work. Okay. Um, what's your morning routine like? My morning routine, I usually get up about 6.30, 6.45. I spend a good 10 minutes uh, as I'm laying in bed, kind of setting my intentions for the day. Hmm. Uh, you know, um, there's a kind of a, a, a mandala, if you will, that one of my coaches uh, shared with me recently that I just love. And it's, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I know what I know. And I care about you. 
And I like to bring that feeling to, if I have a lot of client meetings that day, I'll bring that to that. You know, I I can't live without my coffee. I grab a cup of coffee Mm. and I'll go through the newspaper and make sure that I'm up to speed on things. I watch CNBC Mm -hmm. uh, religiously almost every, every morning. And then I head to my computer and I spend a lot of time on my computer. All right. Uh, what word that best describes how you work? The word that best describes how I work? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. I would, I would like to say focused. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But sometimes, sometimes I will be distracted by bright, shiny objects. And so find myself not as focus, focused and productive as I would like to be. So I, I live off lists. Mm-hmm. I, I am a list person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I make my lists and I have my priorities for the day. And I try to stick to that list as close as I can. Skip to that question right now because I was going to ask you about that. Do you have any uh, specific to-do list managers that you use? Or what's your favorite tool to for these lists? I use a notebook and I just write, I literally have dozens of notebooks that are filled with my notes and my thought. I don't journal. I tried to journal recently and you know what? Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. It didn't Mm. work for me. I, I type much faster. So I like typing. If I'm going to journal, I'd much rather, you know, fingers to keyboard than fingers to a pen and paper. And so I can't do that. But I I have I keep notebooks and I have all my lists. I have my everything that I do lives in these notebooks. So you just you just didn't have uh, the patience for journaling by hand. I didn't. Mm. I tried and I had to admit defeat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll try it again. Uh, Current computer. I have a Asus laptop. Mm, Nice. Right now, ranked the second best laptop in the market. Is it? As far as brands. Oh, okay. By one source. (laughs) What's number one? Lenovo. Oh, okay. Um, Who knows if they're getting paid by them? (laughs) Current mobile device. I just got a new iPhone 8 Plus. All right. Um, App software tools you can live without. And for this one, since you've been writing your whole life, specifically writing apps. Writing apps. I don't use. I don't use any writing apps. Like, uh, what's your favorite place to to do all your writing? I do it in my in my office at home. No, as far as the programs. Oh, word, the programs. Word, oh, Word. Just keep I just it use simple word. with yep, Word. I keep it okay. simple. Mm-hmm. Um, any other app software tools that you can't live without, or that they're really part of your workflow? I like to use a meditation app that I have on my phone. Uh-huh. And if my day is getting crazy, I will take a five minute time out and use my meditation app to just kind of recenter and refocus. And uh, it just kind of helps me breathe. Nice. Um, what everyday thing are you better at than everyone else? What everyday thing am I better at? Oh, gosh. I have no idea. <laughs> we'll skip that one then. What's your workspace setup like? I have a big desk uh-huh. that's kind of like I, I think of it as my command center, and then I have my you know all my my files and everything mm-hmm. that I that I need. But mostly it's just my laptop and my phone, 
and my notebook mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's what I that's what I work with are you a notebook uh, Yankee do you is there a specific notebook that you get or just anything will do it no just you know your basic uh, r ruled line notebook you know mm -hmm. where I can just rip off the pages if I need to and that's it all right what's your best time uh, time saving life hack time saving life hack Oh, I wish I had one. Um, I would like to say stay off Facebook. And I was just <laughs> I was just reading this this article the other day and uh -huh. it was and it was talking about how we waste so much time yes. because um, we tend to get distracted by these bright shiny objects. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of the Pomodoro method? Yes. Where so I'll use that where I will work for 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'll set a set a timer on my phone and I'll work straight through for 25 mm -hmm. minutes, take a break, get a glass of water and then go back and and finish up or start a new project if I finished one. So just those chunks of time I will actually in my calendar mark out white space mm. just time for thinking time for strategy time mm. for writing i will actually put those into my calendar so they don't just get lost yeah okay um what's your favorite oh we already did that one uh, what do you listen to while at work when you're working nothing nothing silence already uh, what are you currently reading or listening to these days Uh, let's see. I my my um my secret kind of mm -hmm. thing that I like are are like mystery novels. Uh -huh. I love mystery novels. I you know, and I I'll read them on my on my Kindle. Mm -hmm. um, I'm starting Ken Follett's new book. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember the title. Um, I read a lot of uh, motivational type books and. Um, There's one that I like that I read this year called Social Intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's very good. Um, I've been rereading Crucial Conversations uh, just to help my clients work through some challenging conversations. So I have a oh, I have a stack of books like yeah you know to read books. <laughs> yeah. I, I am I'm a voracious reader. I read all the time. I used to laugh and say. Mm -hmm. When I was a news anchor, I read for a living. I still read for a living. I just don't do it in front of other people now. So you're like a hybrid uh, reader as far as Kindle and physical books. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what's your sleep routine like? I go to bed pretty early. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in bed by, you know, nine mm -hmm. o'clock and I may read for an hour and then, you know, and then I'm up at six six thirty but my husband gets up early for his work so mm -hmm. i usually wake up at three thirty when he wakes up oh wow and then it takes me a while to go back to sleep so i always get my best ideas like 3 a.m that makes sense the world is quiet mm -hmm. <laughs> um best advice you've ever received uh do you be yourself authenticity Yeah, be, you know, don't worry what other people are going to think. Mm -hmm. Do what's right for you. What's something that most people don't know about you? I can drive a tractor. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You you knew that one right off. <laughs> I had to think for a minute. But most people, you know, I grew up in, over in eastern Washington. I come from a family of wheat farmers. And so I, I graduated from high school early. Um, a trimester early and I mm -hmm. went to work for my dad driving 
a big caterpillar tractor. Wow. Now, um, when you're not working, what's your favorite way to recharge? Boating. I Boating. like to I like to get out on the water and um, it allows me to see things from a different perspective mm -hmm. and I get to learn new skills and it's just super relaxing for me. Okay. We have one more last question, but before we get there, um, I wanted to, uh, if you can share, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and if there is any tools or resources that you think anybody listening could take advantage? Oh, okay. So I'm on Facebook mm -hmm. and Margot Myers, it might even be Margot Myers Seattle. Mm -hmm. I'll um, put this in the show notes oh, okay. with links too. So. Great. And I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and then I have a quiz if people are... Mm -hmm curious about leadership communications teamwork that type of thing and if they're ready to be promoted so i actually have a, a quiz called b promote b b e b promoted quiz.com mm -hmm. they can check that out um and then i have a website margo myers m-a-r-g-o-m-y-e-r-s.com how does this quiz uh helps them the quiz basically gives them a sense of where they are in It helps assess their abilities. Mm. Self-assessment. It's a self-assessment. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. All right, I will definitely put that for those uh, who are interested. Um, the final question is, and you can take your time for this one. Uh, I borrowed it from uh, a podcast that I really like. Uh -huh. Is if today was your last day on earth and everything you've created was all to disappear. You've never been on the news, nothing, everything. But you could leave your loved ones and the world behind with three truths with three truths about life. What would those be? Be yourself. Uh-huh. Don't wor don't worry about what the rest of the world thinks. Mm -hmm. Do do you. Um so that's one. Um have experiences. Go out go out and do things uh don't hide you know go out and, and experience life um and the next the next one would be be happy you get to choose so be yourself experience experience things and be happy and be happy thank you so much margo oh thank you thank you for having me And that was my interview with Margot Myers. A couple of quick announcements before you leave. For reference, you can access this episode's notes alongside other resources at bit.ly slash BTS EP019. Again, again, that's bit.ly slash BTS EP019. Finally, if you enjoy listening to this interview, the best way to support this podcast is by leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in and remember to live a life that moves you.